turn with me to Acts chapter 9 as we continue in our story of the early church. And as we're doing so, one of the reasons that we felt led to move in this direction is to be able to examine how did the early church come about What did they do well, and what did they not do well that pleased the Lord, that gave the Lord uh, cause to be involved with them, to bless them, to move them? What was it that we can look back and we can see and rejoice over that God was doing at work that we should be able to compare and say, this is happening here, this is happening with us, this is happening within the church today. And it's been a very rewarding study and time. And so this morning as we get in to this message, victory in the face of defeat, let's ask the Lord to give us insight and wisdom. Let's pray. Father, you have given all things to men that are for his good, that are for his benefit. That which is food for us, as your son says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very words that proceed from the Father, that Lord, this morning we are uh, in this theme of engaging with You in an intimate sense, that we will be nourished by Your Word. That our hearts will be encouraged and lifted up. You know each heart here today. And whether it's those that are rejoicing in the midst of of challenges already, that they will be able to rejoice that much more, Father, by seeing Your hand at work, having the confidence that you are at work, or whether it's those that need to hear and and get a refreshing reminder, Father, that your Spirit is active and alive and you have a plan, and, and even in the darkest moments, when we lose hope, you are still at work. And then, Father, for those that may be here today that have yet to understand how trustworthy your message is, how loving You are and and the tremendous sacrifice of Your Son and His willingness to obey that we might have eternal life. I pray for each person here that You open the eyes of our heart today. Lead us. Lead us in this story. Thank You, Father, for the sense of community that we have today. Lead us forth. In Your name we pray. Amen. So as we talk about our message today, or we look at the the concept of the victory in the face of defeat, how many of you are experienced enough, I'll just use that phraseology, experienced enough to remember the beautiful picture from ABC Sports? This is before ESPN, right? And some of you know exactly where I'm going, the guy doing the ski jump, right? The agony of... Defeat. Oh my goodness. Does anybody know if that guy even survived? It's just over. And, and imagine being that guy and you survived and they just keep showing it over and over and over. Uh, you, don't, you didn't want to have that happen to you. Well, this morning we're talking about victory in the face of defeat. And I'm going to give you a little uh, anecdote. To At first it might not make a whole lot of sense, but by the time we finish today, I'm really hoping it does. Uh, you know how grandma has that special recipe, right? 
Grandma has that special recipe. I don't know, I don't know what it was for you. Maybe, like, I, I think of some stories I've heard. Maybe it was like tapioca pudding. Again, there's many in the room that when I say tapioca pudding, you are completely disengaged, right? But, but uh, I remember my dad always talking about tapioca pudding. I think that and spam came out during the Depression, right? My dad always talked about tapioca pudding. And so, you know, that was something that grandma could just nail. She, and, and every person had their secret recipe, right? You know, and a little, little something extra in there. And, and so, you know, I, I could just hear grandpa saying, yeah, you know, grandma just does the most incredible tapioca pudding. And then you go and you, you ask grandma, what is your secret formula, right? What is your secret formula? And, and I was thinking about using like the whole Coke thing or, you know, a double-double and, you know, all these secret things. Around. But, you know, grandma, that whole, th- that whole idea, what is your secret formula, grandma? And, and so, you know, they all have their own thing. And maybe for some, it's, it's the amount of vanilla extract, you know, you put in your vanilla or, or, or your tapioca. Maybe it's the kind of rice you use. I don't know. But, you know, kind of funny, one time I heard about a, a grandma who said, yeah, it's, it's 90% love and 5% tears and 5% arsenic for just a little edge. <laughs> yeah. Grandpa... Grandpa's not wearing any t-shirts saying, I'm here for long. Um, but, the, you know, you have those secret formulas. Today, we're going to unlock a secret formula. We're going to look at, this morning, this idea of what happened in Act 3. Not Acts 3, but Act 3. You know what Act 3 is in a story, right? Or in a movie. It's where all things come together. And so we've got this... this series of events that have been happening with the early church and with a character named Saul. And all of a sudden you're going to see the writer of Acts, Luke, bring this into this synthesis of of resolution. And as I studied it this week, I really see this understanding of victory in the face of defeat. So many of us struggle in this, this area of day by day, the struggle, right? The challenge the difficulty. When, are, when am I going to get my moment? When am I going to get... God, I keep hearing the pastor say that if I just have enough faith or if I just trust... Well, let's look at Saul real quickly. I'm going to give you a, a brief synopsis of the timeline. So, we go back to the beginning of chapter 9 and you have Saul's conversion. So Saul was an individual who was a Pharisee and who was a zealous Pharisee. We have the, the situation of the martyrdom, martyrdom of Stephen. Saul was there and he gave approval towards the murder of one of the disciples of Christ. Now, because there was no uh, uh, recompense for that, there was no consequence to that, it just emboldened Saul the more. Have you ever had someone who is causing you great tribulation? And they won the day. And that just emboldened them that much more that they were going to dig in harder because they could. They could. There was no consequences. You know how defeated you feel in that moment. That is the early church, brothers and sisters, in Jerusalem. One of their leaders is killed openly in the streets. There is no recompense. There's no consequence. 
And not only that, the individual who gave permission, who was holding the cloaks of those that were casting the stones, he is now emboldened. He goes to the chief priest and he asks for letters. He's going from house to house. He is arresting those who were part of the church and throwing them in jail. It was his sole desire to destroy the church. To persecute and destroy the church. So doing that in Jerusalem wasn't enough. He heard about a, a fringe group 150 miles away. And so he gets a letter from the high priest that gives him permission to go up to Damascus in Syria and grab those who are part of the way, that's the early name for the church, and to bring them back to imprison them in Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Damascus, and that's when Jesus has an encounter with Saul. And we've talked about that and, and how it completely changed his life. It was his change. It was seeing that person, that individual, that you could never imagine changing. Do you have that person in your mind? Maybe it's you. You could never see yourself changing. Maybe there's this constant struggle that you're having and you're dealing with sin. Or maybe it's just an attitude. Or maybe it's a forgiveness issue. Or who knows what it is. Or maybe it's somebody else. And you're just saying, I would never bring that person to church because they're just going to ignore Jesus. If ever there was a candidate for never changing, it was Saul. But there's an amazing thing that happens when you encounter Jesus. It changes your life. Jesus had a plan set out for Saul. And so he engages with Saul on this road. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not the church, me. Why are you hurting me? And there's a change in Saul. And then Saul has clarity. He has understanding. And change isn't just a sense of saying something happens. Saul changed to the level where what we're going to see in the story today is that those very people who feared him the most became his disciples. He went into the streets and he preached. And that's where we pick up the story today. So as we get into it this morning, the secret formula for the church. There's your, there's your keystone this morning. As we're talking about victory in the face of defeat, you've got to have grandma's secret formula. All right? So what is it? Well, there's a little precursor. All right? Just kind of wrap your head around it. I know it take, it's taken a little time for you to understand what's really happening there, but how many of you have days where you feel like that? Okay? Okay? So why don't we find the secret formula for the early church? How do you not just survive, but how do you thrive? And how does that inform us today? Let's start with the first section of the passage that we're going to be in today. So Acts 9, we're going to pick it up in verse 23. And it says this, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to what? To kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, let's start with the first part of this passage. It says, when many days had passed. Uh, when you go to Galatians 1 and some other passages as Paul is speaking to different churches, we learn a little bit more about the timeline and the chronology here. We're not 100% sure when his sojourn out into the Arabian desert happened, but I would suspect it's, it's during this many days. And it is understood by Paul's testimony and by church tradition 
that after he has the encounter at the Damascus Road, he's in Damascus, and he starts preaching boldly. He didn't wait for his seminary education. He started preaching boldly, but somewhere in the midst of that, he came to an understanding he needed to have some time alone with the Lord. He needed a better understanding. He needed to maybe throw off some of those things that were still there for him. Because he was about to preach a brand new gospel and there was probably, probably some inner conflict for him that he had to figure out. He had to resolve. So you know what Saul does is he goes on a road trip. All right, He sequesters himself and many people believe that he went down uh, to a monastery that's down in the area uh, of the Negev now um, that was probably in the foothills of Mount Sinai. That, sem- that, that uh, monastery still exists to this day. And so tradition says that that's where he went. He escaped into the uh, Arabic desert. And, and during that time, it was, uh, it was part of Arabia. And that he studied. And by his own mouth, he says three years. How many years were the disciples with Jesus? Three years. And so Paul is preparing for apostleship because Jesus has called him to be an apostle, and as his own testimony says, an untimely apostle. Meaning this, I kind of did things backwards, folks. I wasn't part of the original group. But part of what was necessary to be named as an apostle was to have a face-to-face with Jesus Christ. And to have Jesus declare you and establish you as an apostle. And that's what happened for Paul, or Saul. I don't think it's by any mistake that as he was impassioned and emboldened, maybe a lot like Peter, to preach, he found out he needed to learn. And so he escapes and he gets away for a very long conference in the desert with Christ and with the Scriptures. So then he comes back, and where does he return to? He returns to Damascus. And that's where we pick this up. Where it says, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Does this sound like the same Saul? Something has changed, my friends. When we talk about victory in the face of defeat, now the very people he was seeking to kill are what? His disciples. And the very people he represented have now what? Flipped and turned into those that want to kill him. How many of you have actually thought, and and you've had to pray against this thought in your heart, Lord, please take vengeance on my enemy. Whatever they're doing to me, bring it back tenfold on them. You see, there's a little bit of this that's happening for Saul now. The persecuted becomes the what? Persecuted. Victory in the face of defeat. Now, if you're the church, wouldn't you be saying amen and hallelujah? They're going to kill this guy off that was after us. But look at what happens in this story. But the plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is a basket by some other name. It really is. And and so here we see that Paul gets a taste of his own. His own people now want to kill him. Right? This is what the Gospel does. This is what the proclamation of the gospel does. Jesus himself said it right after the world's most famous scripture where he's saying, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave us. Later on, you have 
Jesus' very words. It said, but men, and the judgment is this, men love darkness rather than light, therefore they run from the light, and they hide in the shadows. And they prefer that. And so when the Gospel comes and the light of the Gospel comes, it becomes a threat to our natural way of life. And that was the consistent problem with We got an air conditioning going. We're on super high power flux capacitor level with the uh, with the fan on the. Okay, deacons, mark that one down. So, Paul has this incredible challenge happen. Those that he was part of are now trying to kill him. Paul is a basket case. Okay, his own people now seek to kill him. And, and, and those he sought to kill now are trying to help him. Victory in the face of defeat. Right? Victory in the face of defeat. For Paul, it was a basket that saved him. For you, what could it be? Maybe it's a doctor. Maybe it's a check that comes in the mail. Maybe it's a job. Who knows? Who knows? But let me leave you with this one thought that's part of our secret formula God, in the face of defeat, can provide a risky and creative escape. Amen? God, in the face of defeat, can provide a risky escape. And He did. So then we continue in the passage. I thought this was a great great statement by... uh, I'm going to lose... If you turn that off, I'm going to lose it back here. Oh, look at that. Well, let's just save that whole area from flames and destruction. There's the victory. We need a basket. <laughs> yeah, the sensor's on the front. It's, it's fried. It's gone. Focus on this one, folks. We'll be good. That's okay, just leave it. If we get out a ladder, we're going to be in big trouble here. I'll completely lose the whole message. There we go. All right, well done. Um, this is a great quote by Johnny Cash. The master, of life's, uh, the master of life's been good to me. He has given me strength to face past illnesses and victory in the face of defeat. He has given me life and joy when others saw oblivion. He has given new purpose to live for, new services to render, and old wounds to heal. Life and love go on. Let the music play. You know, God provided a basket for Paul. For others, for Johnny, it was music as an avenue. For you, who knows what it will be? Or who knows what it's been? But understand, God is always at work. When the, when the hour seems darkest, God is not absent. He is not vacant from the presence of your life let's continue on this morning and and look at 26 through 27 so number one you've got Saul that's come back after many days and he's preaching the gospel and and that has an effect that the very friends the very partnerships that he had have now turned on him and those that he was persecuting are now saving him and they lower him out of the wall with a basket so now where does he go he goes to Jerusalem think he's going to get a warm reception in Jerusalem No, they all knew who he was. 
They were breathing a sigh of relief. They thought, oh, the guy went out into the desert. He hasn't come back. Praise God. And they probably heard what was happening up in Damascus, and they're confused, and they're what? Oh, this guy's, you ever had this happen to you that somebody just kind of placates you? Or they're acting contrary to their nature or their reputation? You're thinking, what's going on here? What is happening here? We've been searching for a car for my daughter. She's been saving her money, and it's been a fun, fun endeavor to be all over Craigslist uh, the past two weeks and talking to multiple people. It's amazing when you do a little bit of homework uh, and you make a couple points after looking at the car facts that don't line up with the information that's being provided, how suddenly people will say, oh, um, actually I've decided to sell the car to somebody else. Thank you. Goodbye. Fascinating. All the while I thought they were my best friend. We had some great deep conversation uh, about life and, and all these things and thought that we were going to be... Yeah. And so I think the apostles and the Christians in the church in Jerusalem may be a little nervous about Saul coming back home. But let's look at what happened. And when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Now, isn't this a great picture of the warm, accepting church? Notice the vernacular that Luke uses. He attempted. That means it was rough going at first. Is that to be said of our churches? That those who have hurt us, those who have burned us, those who seem dangerous, seem like wolves, we would say we need to be careful. And that's prudent. This is what the church and this is what the apostles were doing, but this is an amazing understanding and look at God's provision of victory in the face of defeat. See, sometimes God has to provide a saving formula of insight and courage, and He does so with the man Barnabas. We hear about Barnabas again. Cypress Joe, as he's called sometimes. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the, the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, it doesn't say he whispered. It doesn't say he suggested. He strongly declared to the upper tier, the upper level, the highest echelon of leadership. He declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul, when he went before the apostles, when he went before the leadership, spoke of his conversion with power and passion. He did so, I think, by no short order that God provided in the face of defeat a, sol a solitary individual in the church to stand in the gap, to be his witness, to be his representation, to be someone who had spiritual insight and courage. Maybe God's calling some of us to be that for those around us who need justice, who need mercy, who need grace. Maybe we need to be a Barnabas. Paul was feared in Jerusalem. He still had consequences to deal with from reputation. By the way, we need to learn from that, right? We can come to the Lord, but we can have this history. Now, the Lord doesn't hold that history against us, but mankind 
keeps long records. Mankind keeps long records. And for good purpose. Because how many of us, in the face of giving trust to those around us and laying ourselves bare, have been burned because of that? Do you know that that is walking in the example of Jesus Christ? And what did Jesus say when asked by His disciples, how many times must I forgive? An unlimited amount was the response of Jesus. So Barnabas is a saving formula of insight and courage. Bold Barnabas was willing to step up against all odds. He had spiritual discernment. Isn't it amazing that it wasn't one of the apostles? Do you see that in the story? Brothers and sisters, God doesn't always provide through the upper level of leadership. Sometimes the Lord will speak to an individual like a Joshua or like a Gideon. And He will raise that person up to be His spokesperson. And in this moment and in this time, Saul needed an advocate. And Barnabas had the respect of the leadership. If you think back towards the day of Pentecost, if you think back to the expanse of the church, Barnabas was listed there first and foremost as a godly man and one who sacrificed much in order that the church would be provided for. He was second, maybe third tier leadership within the church. He was respected. God may raise up an individual to speak and to be an advocate for a supposed enemy, what would we do? Well, let me ask you this. In that secret formula, maybe what we need to do, number one, we learn about the basket with Paul. God provided there a risky and cre- creative escape. Here with Barnabas, God has provided a man of influence and insight. See how God is at work, even though the church feels like they're in a dark, dark hour. Next, we see... The challenge of reputation, consequences, and provision. Saul's unwavering obedience to his call. Verses 28 through 30. It says this, So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him. That didn't take long. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So this is fascinating. You know, this really is a fruition or fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy to Ananias earlier in the chapter. When God came to, or Jesus came to Ananias in a vision and said, go and, and go to this individual's house. You'll find someone there that needs your help. It is Saul. And, and Ananias is having a little discussion with God. Have you ever had this discussion? It goes somewhat like this. Are you crazy? Do you know who this guy is? So Barnabas isn't the first advocate that God has provided for Saul. And look at the beauty of it. You have Ananias who God provides. If you have persecuted your enemy, if you have killed your enemy, and your enemy extends that kind of love and graciousness to you, how much of an impact would that have upon your heart? Upon the authenticity of of the message of the Gospel, of this group of people that that Saul initially saw as his enemy. 
And through Ananias, he lays on the hands. And Jesus says to Ananias, he says, you need to go do this for Saul has to do what I have made him for and he will suffer much. Here it is. Here it is. Number one, a fulfillment of what he's called to do, which is to preach boldly. And because of the effectiveness of his preaching, what has he done? He has turned the very people that were part of whom he, his kip, right? His kip. You're all, did you forget that word, guys? I thought that stood out from like three weeks ago. Um, his group, his fraternity, his peeps, his people. He has been so effective in his preaching that his very people have turned on him now and desire to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea. So his reputation stays with him. The consequences of his reputation stay with him. And God still provides. This is a fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy to Ananias out of 9.16. Paul did not waver from his calling. Even though he was sought to be defeated, think of leaving Damascus. You had to be lowered out of Damascus with a basket. And you're thinking about those people that you had to leave. You're frustrated. We know later that, that, that Saul or Paul is basically saying, I'm not going to leave Jerusalem. Or maybe it was Ephesus. I, I can't remember exactly because he's all over the place. And, and the church begs him. They force him. You have to leave or you're going to get killed. This kind of became his new reputation. He is fulfilling his calling. You see, we might look at what happened in Damascus and say he's defeated. He wasn't defeated. His message went out. It was effective. The church started to flourish in Damascus. God said, I'm going to move you back down to Jerusalem because you have to suffer much. But you're going to be effective. You will fulfill your calling. And the church is still scared of Saul. They're still scared of what Saul can do. They're thinking he's coming back. He's going to mobilize those. We're, we're barely surviving here. Yet Barnabas stands up for him. And now Saul is preaching so boldly that those who he called compadre are out to kill him again. Paul did not waver from his calling. So what is part, another part of our secret formula this morning? It's this idea that if we stay faithful to our calling at all costs, God provides a safe harbor. Where does it say that the disciples sent him to? Caesarea. In Caesarea, we know about Caesarea. Uh, this is where Philip ends up on a 20-year retirement plan. Right? The New Testament evangelist ends up in Caesarea. Paul later on goes before uh, um, uh, the, 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 I think it's, uh, I'm not going to remember, so I'm not going to say. Um, Agrippa, I think. This is horrible, folks. I'm sorry, I have a bad memory because there's like three names floating around in there, somewhere in there. And uh, anyway, I'll come back because we're going to hit it up. Anyway, so he has to go to trial. You're going to hear coming up shortly in the next couple chapters about uh, the centurion and Peter. That's in Caesarea. There's much that happens in Caesarea. If you go on our trip next late February to Israel, you will be standing in Caesarea where all of this happened. It's, it's an unbelievable idea, but it was a harbor city. It was a harbor, and it was a safe harbor. And it was by no mistake that they shipped Saul out to Caesarea, where the word was just starting to come 
into light where maybe Philip has already been established there and they give him safe passage to Tarsus. So in the face of defeat, he's run out of Damascus because he's going to be killed. He comes down to Jerusalem. I don't know if they're going to accept me. No, they weren't going to accept him except Barnabas stood in the gap for him. So God provided again in the face of defeat. Then he starts preaching the, the gospel boldly and now those that he was once aligned with seek to kill him. More defeat. And now I have to leave Jerusalem? Now I have to leave Jerusalem? I've been fired twice already. And I'm just starting out. This doesn't feel real solid as far as the beginning of my ministry, God. What are you doing? What are you doing? Where's the victory in the face of this defeat? Well, let's look at that. The secret formula to the church. It comes full circle. The church, after this, what is the statement? So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had what? Peace. And was being what? Built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? It multiplied. Happily ever after. You see, where did we start? We started with a church that was, well, was growing at an incredible rate and then persecution came. Some of its leaders were killed in the streets. They were being thrown in jail. They were struggling. And by the way, they would continue to struggle. But, but look at what the words are here by Luke. You take the risk to accept in the very person that was trying to throw you in jail and kill you. And then he starts proclaiming the gospel. By the way, it's interesting that we see that the Jews wanted to kill who? John, right? Peter? Andrew. Bartholomew? Saul. You know, think about it. There's this group of leaders that had the luxury of walking the earth with Jesus and hearing face to face from him all that time. Saul, when he says, I'm an apostle who was untimely born, he didn't have those advantages. He's the outlier. He's the disadvantaged. And yet, who is more passionate? According to the story. According to what we see. Now eventually, all the apostles save for John would be martyred. But in this moment in Jerusalem, Saul is the target. And so they send Saul on. And the result, the end of the story, things have come full circle. Now think about where we started. Things got shaky. The church is being taken from their homes and thrown in prison. That guy goes up north, something gets weird. <laughs> he meets Jesus. Jesus is the one that's at work the entire time. Now go back to Acts 1.8 where all of this started. Let's say it together if we can. You shall be meet my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The church was thriving. It was a mega church. Everything was going great in Jerusalem. So... Jesus turns loose and gives permission for Saul to start persecuting the church. Because of that persecution, what happens? Oh, we're defeated. 
We're defeated. Have you felt that way? We're defeated. How come we were thriving here? We had record numbers. This is great. Everybody's like giving to all this. It's, woo! And then, you know, a week later, we're in jail. This isn't so great. And not only that, the guy that's doing all this is now going out like Dog the Bounty Hunter in Damascus. And he's going to bring back our brothers and sisters from there. See, the persecution made the believers, made the church spread out. But because they spread out, Philip took the message of the gospel to Samaria, an untimely place. See, we've already hit Jerusalem, haven't we? Now, because of Philip's work in Samaria, they actually called what was happening there because of the signs and wonders, the Samarian Pentecost. And because they had not yet, in a unique way, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. What happens here? Peter and John have to go up there so that they give witness to the fact that God is actually doing this work with an untimely, improbable people, yet this is what Jesus asked them to do. So you see how Jesus is forcing. Our perspective, we're in trouble. Our perspective, it's all falling apart. Our perspective, there's too much arsenic in the tapioca. But God's perspective is, I will use the most improbable person to carry out my will if you're not going to. Watch me work. And in the midst of the defeat, he takes that person and then he has an encounter with him. He shows, he reveals himself, and even the hardest heart changes. And now he becomes an advocate for Christ up in Damascus. Something weird is going on. Something weird is changing. And then he comes back into Jerusalem. The church is still in turmoil. And now we're scared of this guy. What's going to happen? And now the church is thriving. There's disciples up in Damascus, right? So far we've got Jerusalem covered. So far we've got Samaria covered. Now we've got Judea covered. And now what happens? Saul is recognized as an apostle. He preaches so boldly that his life is threatened. And what do the apostles do? The last thing to fulfill Acts 1.8. They send Saul to Caesarea and then outside of Judea. And what starts to happen? Saul starts to plant churches to the uttermost parts of the world. And where do we finish the story? This horrible, sad, defeated story this story where our country is falling apart, it's divided, it has horrible leadership, our economy is in the tank, our, our assembly just voted for a gas tax, uh, they made Transformers 8, uh, I mean just horrible stuff, right? Our society is broken, it's the worst, where is God? Especially in the Bay Area. God has given up on the Bay Area. You know, there's pastors that actually say that, and they gave up on the Bay Area. God is always working. And if we refuse to do our calling, He will raise up the most improbable person that we might have victory in the face of defeat. Amen? You've heard part of the formula, but you haven't really heard the formula. Are you willing to let God work in order to have victory? in the face of defeat. Let me do a real quick review. Anything can happen. The church is persecuted. It spreads and thrives. Stephen is martyred. He is pleased to be martyred. 
Philip takes the gospel to an unlikely group. The apostles fulfill the mandate of Acts 1-8 because of this. Barriers are broken in the reach of the gospel. Now the Samaritans are saved. There's the displacement of Philip from Samaria out in the middle of the desert. There's no awards. There's no large megachurch. There's no prosperity. Just move on in a solo manner. Just like Jesus used him in Samaria as a pioneer, he uses him to reach out to the Ethiopian. Saul ravages the church. He's bent on making a name for himself. He is feared. Jesus has it all under control. He uses it. Ananias to anoint Saul. Saul begins to preach the gospel. He goes away to train and learn for three years in the desert. He comes back to Damascus. He makes disciples of his former enemies. He makes enemies of his former friends. Saul comes back to Jerusalem and has to rely on the local boy who probably was very aware of who Saul was and is brought before the apostles to be accepted as one of them. He boldly, more so than probably any of the leadership in Jerusalem, preaches the gospel. Now he is the hunted. Now the apostles seek to protect him. Now they have him run away under their protection. You want to talk about irony in a story. Now the church is at peace and is growing. You want to talk about an insane story. Did you ever look at it that way? Because I could have just preached, oh, these things kind of happened and it was kind of interesting. And... But you know, I think the challenge for you and I is sometimes we don't think there is victory in the face of defeat. And what you just saw in about six to seven verses was a synopsis that Luke is trying to remind us. When you think your darkest hour is there and Jesus is missing, you have no idea. You have no idea. So how do we know that the Lord was at work? How do we know that in the midst of the difficulty, victory happened? How do we know the recipe for all of this? It's all tied into this last verse. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had what? Peace. And was being what? Built up. How do you know what that looks like? What is the formula? My friends, it's right there. It's right in the tail end of that verse. Do we want peace? Do we want to be built up? Do we want to multiply? Do we want to be an extension of Jesus' love in a dark place? Do we want victory in the face of defeat? This is the secret recipe. Not from Grandma, but from Jesus Himself. No offense, Grandma. Walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If we walk in the fear of the Lord, not according to our own designs, our own passions, our own concerns, our own pleasure, but we walk in fear of the Lord, we will live completely different lives. If we walk in the comfort of the Spirit, we're no longer going to need to rely on other people to satisfy our heart. Our heart will be satisfied because of that brings peace. And when those things are happening, we stand out as a stark light to a dark, dark place. And when that happens, multiplication happens. Because people want to know. People want to know. Let me close in prayer this morning. I encourage you, in an area where we seem to be transitioning in Scripture, there is no light Scripture 
there is much to be unlocked in what we look at today. And in your own life, as you're looking at whether you're seeing victory or whether you're seeing defeat, understand Jesus is in control of all things. Of all things. And He is at work. It may not be the way you would map it, but He is in control of all things. And this is what we learn today and we walk away with. Walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. We will have peace and we will be built up. Let me close in prayer today. And if you've brought your offerings this morning, thank you so much as your gift of worship. Uh, our offering box is in the back as you leave. Uh, if you have any specific prayer requests, take one of those cards out of the back of the chairs and fill that out on your way out today and write the prayer requests on the back. We're faithful to pray over those uh, prayers on, on Monday morning. Um, if you want it confidential that only myself or the elders see that, please mark it confidential. Let me pray. Father, today we ask that you walk with us, you encourage us, you lead us in great strength, that you give us a, a sense of trustworthiness that we see in this story that the most improbable things happened by your hand and by your design. Give us the patience for you to work out what you are doing. Help us to be faithful to our calling like Saul was. Father, give us a desire, a passion, which means a suffering determination. To know what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. And the Father, paired with that, we would understand and pursue as well living by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we would be a people marked in this way. Speak to our hearts boldly, Father. We ask all this in the name of Your Son. We ask that You look over our gifts today. May You be pleased with them. May you use them for your glory and for the kingdom. Thank you, Father, for all that you did through this church and through others, uh, giving and praying so that lifetime might happen this summer and we celebrate the seventh year of completing this ministry, this radical ministry. And in the face of, of daily defeats on some levels, Father, we have victory because you carried us through. We thank You, Father. Walk with us. Let us pursue walking with You this week. Let us live in that victory in the face of defeat because of Your Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.